Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. I'm going to normally, I like to preach on the gospel. The gospels are great to preach out of, um, but I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to, to go back a little bit and, and, and preach a little bit on the psalm that we, that we pray together in the call to worship, Psalm 23. And teaching on the psalms can sometimes be a bit daunting because when you learn how to read and interpret scripture, there are tools that you learn, you know, parsing biblical languages, learning how to how to interact with, with Hebrew and Greek, uh, learning historical contexts of various peoples and places, learning the intersection between theology and practice. These are all tools that are brought to bear when we read and study Holy Scripture, particularly when we, we, we proclaim it on, on a Sunday morning as, as the Word of God. The Psalms are a little bit different, though, because they're not stories. They're not narrative though they retell events. They're not prophecy, though they do reflect the words of the prophets. The Psalms are their songs. They're, they're poetry. And if you remember anything from English class, or if you were like me anyway, poetry was notoriously hard to interpret. Because <laughs> surprise, surprise, brothers and sisters, I'm not very imaginative. I remember, though, wrestling with poetry. In history, I would usually have the history book read and finished uh, before we even were like halfway through the year. I would have had read all the way through the history book, and I would have remembered everything, and I'd, I'd do really well on my history test. But when I got into English class, it was a little bit harder uh, with, not with reading. I was always a very good reader. Not with recollection. I could always recall things. My issue was interpretation, particularly with poetry. And poems and songs can be difficult because sometimes they, can, they, they may have one meaning. Or if you ask uh, some music artists, they, they, they may have like notoriously difficult songs. Like, okay, I'll give you a stupid example, right? So the, uh, the pop singer, his name is Seal. He's got a, a, a song called uh, A Kiss from a Rose. And you think to yourself, and you say, hey, Seal, what does that mean? And he'll probably say, I don't know, whatever you want it to mean. And to this day, I still don't know what a kiss from a rose actually means. The Psalms can kind of be like that, because what you have is the collection of a book of of poetic worship. They are the collected worship of the Hebrew people, but also the collected worship of the Christian church. Not only for the, the Jews of the past, but also for the burgeoning church, particularly what we've been hearing in the book of Acts. The Psalms are a collection, and they've been part and parcel, and an important part of the life of the church. I remember I went to a monastery a few years ago. Every couple of years I go to, to spend some time away and pray, and uh, I was reminded when I was there that the monks, they pray through the Psalter, all 150 Psalms. They pray through them, I believe, weekly. And then during the Lenten season, they pray through all 150 Psalms twice a week, and I could be wrong. I'm just riffing here, but this, I, I th- and, and you can fact check me on this, right? Later on, you can say, I looked this up and you were wrong. But I, I think if you're even going to be a bishop in the early church, you had to have memorized all of the Psalms. And the Psalms are powerful. The Psalms minister to us in a special way. 
And the early church fathers recognized this. And St. Athanasius, he wrote this to a, a person named Marcellinus. Barring those prophecies about the Savior and some about the Gentiles, the reader takes all of its words upon his lips as though they were his own. And each one sings the Psalms as though they had been written for his special benefit and takes them and recites them, not as though someone else were speaking or another person's feelings were being described, but as himself speaking of himself, offering the words to God as his own heart's utterance, just as though he himself had made them up. I love what he says there. He's saying that when we pray the Psalms, they are the prayers of every person who prays them. So even though it may say a psalm of Asaph or a psalm of David, because those are the words on our lips too, it is a psalm of shame. It is a psalm of Jeanette. It is a psalm of David. It is a psalm of Phyllis. It is a psalm of Michael. It is, they are our psalms. And this is because they're so personal and poignant and powerful and just as relevant to worship today as in times past. And there are some churches who don't even sing hymns, the beautiful hymns that we sing on Sundays. Some churches say, you can't even sing those hymns. All we need to do is sing the Psalms. They're important. So with all of that in mind, I would love to focus on the Psalm we used as the call to worship, which is Psalm 23 probably the most well-known psalm in the entire Bible, apart from David's psalm of repentance. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Brothers and sisters, this psalm is a description of our life in Christ. Of our life in Christ. And it starts off with the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It begins with Jesus, right? It begins with him and what he does for his people. And in John 14, we heard John referencing Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, probably drawing off of this imagery from Psalm 23. I know my own and my own know me. And as the shepherd of his people, Jesus, as we saw in this first verse, he provides. I have what I need. I am being taken care of. God cares about our needs. Sometimes we forget that. He cares about our needs, our spiritual needs, and our material, our physical needs. He cares about both. And too often, TV preachers twist the scriptures and overemphasize his provision of the material at the expense of the spiritual. But that doesn't change the fact that God still provides. He still provides. He still cares, and he wants us to be taken care of. The next verse says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As a shepherd of his people, Jesus leads. He leads us to a place of rest and to a place of refreshment. Remember last week when we talked about times of refreshing coming from the presence of the Lord? 
We may not know where he is taking us, but because we know he is good, we can trust that he's leading us in the right direction, that he's leading us in the right way. As a shepherd of his people, Jesus leads. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. As the shepherd of his people, Jesus saves. Brothers and sisters, it's not just a funny bumper sticker. Jesus saves. We are saved for something. God works in the human heart. He restores our soul, the work of salvation. Our souls have been restored from death and sin to life and light. John 10, 11 said, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that is the act of salvation and the resurrection that Jesus has accomplished for us. And in Acts 4, 10, Peter said, let it be known to all of you and all the people to Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So last week we said the healing of the crippled man is a picture of the healing God does in our hearts when we turn to Jesus. And this is what it means when it says he restores our soul and leads us along the path of righteousness. That we have been made new. That by an act of his love, by an act of his grace, he has transformed us. He has taken us from the kingdom of the world and he has translated us into the kingdom of his son. He has brought us from death to life. Jesus saves. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. As a shepherd of his people, Jesus protects. So then we ask ourselves, what is this valley of the shadow of death? St. Augustine said that the valley of the shadow of death is the life that we live as we walk, our lives, as we walk through life. And death is sort of like a shadow. The specter of death follows us until we encounter Christ. Until we encounter Christ. And the rod and staff, could these be pictures of the cross? Probably, maybe, yeah. Staff is used to protect. It's also used to keep sheep from getting away and to keep them in line. The staff is used to discipline. Discipline is part of being protected. Sometimes the discipline of the Lord may hurt us, but it's for our own protection and our own good. And like sheep, we don't always understand it. And brothers and sisters, ultimately, Jesus will protect us from death itself. We will all die, but we will all live. Not to be, I'm not trying to be morbid here, but I did a funeral a few days ago. And as I wrote this sermon a few days after, I thought of the person who had departed in the casket. And, my fa and I, I thought of them lying there um, in, in, in the casket. And then all of a sudden, I imagined Jesus in it instead of that gentleman. And it made me start to tear up a little bit. And I realized that even though we will all wind up there, like the good shepherd he is, Jesus will not leave us there. He will not leave us there. When I die, when you die, and we're all laid out like that. We will not be left there. Jesus protects us from death. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. As a shepherd of his people, Jesus loves lavishly. He loves lavishly. What's up with this table in front of enemies? There's a couple of possibilities. 
The table being set up before could be the, uh, well, what do you do at a table? You eat, right? You feast. You sit around with your friends and your loved ones and your families and you eat good food and you have a good time. He sets up a feasting table in the presence of our enemies. So in other words, your enemies see how God has provided for you, how he has protected you, how he has saved you. They see and know. And even as they are trying to harm you, they see you feasting at God's table. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As the shepherd of his people, Jesus is faithful. He remains faithful even when we are faithless. He loves even when we hate, and his goodness will follow us even after death. And it's like one of the girls said during the children's sermon when she, she pointed up to this beautiful picture we have of Jesus, and she said that he'll, if one gets lost, he's going to go looking for that lost one to try and to bring that lost one back. Jesus is faithful to us. Even when we are faithless, even when we, like Peter, deny him, even when we turn away from him, he still comes after us because he loves us. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 27, 4. One of my favorite verses. It says this, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. When we say we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, obviously the psalmist is talking about going to the temple and being involved in temple worship and the services and, and, and living there forever. But we know, brothers and sisters, that we will dwell with God forever, that Jesus has saved us, like I just said. He has protected us from death and then we will dwell in God's house. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember, he says that to his disciples. But then it's not just to hang out, right? He says in the Psalms, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That we will dwell in the house of the Lord so we may behold the beauty of God. That we will see the beauty of God. That we will be transformed by the beauty of God. And that happens in the house of God here today, too. When we come to worship on a Sunday, we are here to behold the beauty of God. We are here to dwell in his house, and we are here to inquire in his temple. That the things that weigh us down, that the burdens that we carry in, that we can leave them at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus is our good shepherd. He will provide for us. He will protect us. He will guide us. He loves us, and he will be faithful to us. To quote from St. Athanasius one more time in his letter, he said, Let each one, therefore, who recites the Psalms have a sure hope that through them God will speedily give ear to those who are in need. For for man or woman, be in trouble when he says them, great comfort will he find in them. If he be tempted or persecuted, he will find himself abler to stand the test and will experience the protection of the Lord who always defends those who say these words. And so, brothers and sisters, let these words 
be on our lips today. Let the prayer of this psalm, let this be on our lips because as we're praying it, it's not just David praying this. This is our psalm too. That when we pray them, when we pray them, we make them our own. And it's as if we are praying them for the first time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call an audible right now. And instead of doing the affirmation of faith, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up just for a moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first verse. I'm going to read all, there's only six verses. So what I'd like to do, I'm going to read each verse and I'm going to give you a second. And I want you to think about how Jesus has provided, how he has led, how he has saved, how he has protected, how he has loved you and how he's been faithful to you. And what I want you to do is after I read each one, I want you to just say a silent prayer to yourself and thank him for what he's done for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you, and we hope to have you visit us.